You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Riot Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I was yawning through that, but I made it. I did it. (laughs) All right, so today it's going to be a fun one. Um, I actually dug up something that I had started last year. Actually, in my mind, I completed it last year. But I wanted to expand it, and the more I played with it, the more it's just one of those things, man. I remember my math teacher saying, uh, one of the best teachers I ever had, it was actually at a technical school, which is hilarious because he was basically just doing like recap math like okay here's addition all the way through whatever i don't know i don't know if we got to calculus or not but whatever trigonometry but he was talking about like back in the day the reason we know all this stuff is because you had guys that were like their job was to be math guys and they basically just locked themselves in room and just played with numbers all days and found all day and found patterns and if you've ever done that you find out like yeah i could see how that's a thing if you've ever like did a deep dive on NFL stats or anything. I don't know about you, but I've just completely maxed out an Excel spreadsheet with just playing with numbers. And so I kind of just got lost in it yesterday and had a lot of fun doing it and ended up growing it to more than I thought I would. And so what I kind of did, and this isn't probably the right way to put it, but I built a predictive model for who's going to win the Super Bowl. Now that's not the best way to put it because it's not I don't know. There's, I, I could probably point out 15 things that are imperfect with it, but it is very interesting, and I'll explain the whole process through that uh, today because a lot of things are not as I expected. If you've been listening, you know I've been saying the Patriots are done this year. It's not going to happen. There's something wrong with them. They ended up spitting out the other side of this algorithm as the top team and by a lot as far as predicting who's going to win the Super Bowl. Um, otherwise, we got news and notes. And then I want to talk more specifically, kind of, we'll set this whole little exercise to the side and then talk the way I would normally talk about the games that are going on today. And then we'll kind of see which one happened. On one hand, the Patriots are very much struggling. On the other hand, there's this factor or these factors that kind of point to them having a very good chance of being Super Bowl champions. So kind of like three segments today, I guess. We'll see how that all pans out. Otherwise, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I'll probably be putting more of these details and things on uh, on the page. I say probably because it's going to be a long time before I get there, and I might forget a lot of things. Remind me if you find it interesting and you want to see it. Uh, if you want to help out the show, a five-star iTunes review would be greatly helpful. If you don't have iTunes or use iTunes, a Stitcher review would also be helpful. It's the only other place I know to leave a review. If you know of another place, go ahead and do that for me, please, and thank you. Otherwise, of course, word of mouth is fantastic. Hey, I found this great podcast. You should cease listening to all other podcasts and put all your energies into this one. I can write you a script if you want. You can just go around talking to people like that. Maybe door-to-door. I don't know if you have any experience with that, any Jehovah's Witnesses in the audience. Maybe you could do a little overtime for me. I don't know. I'm just saying. Not saying quit your primary job. I'm just saying. If you're looking for a little OT, got something for you. Oh, what else? Um, Oh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. There's also a link in the description. By the end of this month, somebody will be picked as the winner of a giveaway. Essentially, you can go into the store, pick out whatever design you like for a shirt. I should probably get one designed up for uh, the North is Not Enough. 
and probably should do it rapidly. In fact, if you have an idea for that, go ahead and just throw it in the group. I haven't really started thinking about it other than just text, but I'm not very artistically inclined, so any thoughts or ideas, put it up in the group. Speaking of you designing a shirt, as I said, $1 a month is enough to get you entered into this. If we cross 50 donors, which is about 11 more, so 11 of you give a dollar, then the winner will be able to go into the store and pick anything, including hoodies, long sleeves, tank tops, mugs, whatever. One thing, that is, not as many things as you want. And then if we cross another threshold, I, I want to say 100, but I feel like we're just not going to get there, so what's the point in saying it? Although we can keep this going. So let's just say 100. If we get to 100 people, and again, all you got to do is give a buck. A buck a month. Then you're entered, and what we'll do is the winner that month, whatever month it is when we cross 100, will get to design their own Green Bay Packers shirt. Keep it family-friendly, please. I will have it created for you. I'll pay to have it designed, and then I will have it shipped out to you, and then it will be for sale in the store. So I'm, I'm actually kind of excited about that little giveaway, but we got to get to a point at which it makes sense for me to spend all that money. Otherwise, I'm just spending all my money on somebody who won. Kind of defeats the point of trying to raise money. You get what I'm saying. Which ultimately, that is what we're doing here. It's just a way for me to try to encourage you to support what I'm doing here. If you just want to support me for the sake of supporting me, that also would not bother me. Anyways, let's take our break. we got a lot of ta- 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 stuff to talk about today. I edit nothing. We'll take a break. Ladies and gents, I hope you've at least gone to MacWeldon.com to check out some of the stuff they've got. Because I'm guessing you'll at least be impressed. So let's start there. Rather than thinking, do I need a sweatshirt? Just go look at what they have realize that this is next-level clothing, and ask yourself, do I deserve at least a little bit of this in my life? I'm not saying donate all your clothes and fill it with Mack Weldon stuff. I'm not going to do that, but I got a little something in there. And on special occasions, I'll bust out all the Mack Weldon stuff, throw it on, and walk around the house like a king. Maybe today's that day. I don't know. I haven't done it in a while. I wore my Mack Weldon hoodie the other day, but I'm talking... Boom, Mac welded out. Shirt, sweatshirt, pants. All the ladies will look at me with respect. By ladies, I mean my wife and two daughters for the first time in a while. <laughs> but go look at it. And again, as a listener to this show, Mac Weldon has got an awesome offer for you to get 20% off your first order. So while you're at MacWeldon.com, enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout. Again, 20% off your first order when you enter promo code OVERTIME at MacWeldon.com. And remember, because they want you comfortable, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, assuming that's what you buy, you get to keep it, and they'll still refund you zero questions asked. MacWeldon.com. Use promo code OVERTIME for 20% off your first order. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. So how about that, man? After about 15 seconds after I did my Patreon pitch... Jonas donates a dollar on Patreon. Thanks, Jonas. I appreciate that. Welcome to the club. By the way, as for the patrons, understand, and I listen, Patreon is one of those things for me. There goes the voice. Oh, man, where am I going? Where I, I build it up in my mind like, dude, everybody that's a, Patreon is gonna, a patron is going to get so much cool stuff, and then I just don't have time to do anything. So what I've, I've, I've resorted to is if you are 
a patron, just send me a message and be, and be like, look, I want some details on this. I had somebody do that the other day. Like, he's he's a patron. He's like, look, could you just do me a favor and break down some information on Corey Lindsley? I want this and this and this and this. I think he was in the midst of sort of like, I don't know about an argument, but a, a, a discussion. He was trying to make a case. And he just wanted me to break down everything I could about Corey Lindsley, and I sent him a bunch of information. So let's just say you have that kind of access, and I'm going to try to keep doing some cool stuff when I have the time, especially for draft season. It's kind of hard because if I come up with cool stuff, I want to use it for the podcast. So holding back is hard when you do a daily podcast, you know, which is why actually somebody suggested I don't do daily so I could have something extra for the patrons. And if I get enough of them, it will be kind of cost-effective to consider that. But at this point, it's just really not. But anyways, again, at this point, if you are a patron, I don't care if it's a dollar a month or $20 a month, just feel free to reach out and be like, look, I pay you. I want this information. I'll be like, all right, dude, chill out. But all right, I'll look into it. Sound good? Big old thumbs up. You can't see me doing it, but bow right in your face. So let's start with news and notes because that's always the least interesting. Uh, Number one, Eddie Jackson got locked up. This is, I mean, of course it's going to happen. The great thing about it is that Eddie Jackson, what happened to Eddie Jackson is exactly what I told you would happen to Eddie Jackson, and that is he would regress. Eddie Jackson's a good safety. I'm not saying he's garbage, but he was a good safety in his rookie year. He was the number one safety in football the second year, and that, of course, because this is just how the media operate. You just jump on things. You know, the recency bias in the media is unbelievable because the need to be correct is unbelievable. So saying blue is blue is just their entire job. Aside from, you know, the the shock jocks, they want to go the opposite direction sometimes. Right, Dak Prescott is the greatest quarterback in history. Like, okay, dude, he doesn't even believe that, but he has to say that it's his job. Anyways, a lot of these other guys, though, when Eddie Jackson is the best in football, it's all about, oh, yeah, he's he's the greatest, he's going to be, he's going to have a great career, he's going to da 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 But I think an honest look at this says, you know, Adrian Amos had that happen the year before, and he dropped off. Not that he's a bad safety, but he went from being a good, solid safety to, I think, the third best safety in football, and then he dropped off down to, you know, whatever, being good again. And I don't think there was ever any illusion from the Packers that he was a number three safety in football. It's, it's really just Vic Fangio's scheme. It's the rest of the defense. It's, it's a lot of different things. You look at that defense with all the interceptions. That was unsustainable that Eddie Jackson had. Same with Tredavious White, by the way, with the Bills. He was, I think, the number one corner in football, but he had like 70,000 interceptions that year. Entirely unsustainable. He didn't get all those in- interceptions the next year or the year after or this year or any other year, and he's never been that high again. So Eddie Jackson is still a good safety. So when I saw that he is now the highest paid safety, it actually made me happy. Not because I'm happy the Bears locked up a good safety, and the Bears are happy to have him, but it's nice that their salary cap is now taking a hit. And and listen, I'm not saying they're... It's not destroyed. Teams aren't usually causing, having terrible things happen, but I don't think they've managed their salary cap very well, and this isn't going to help them reach into free agency next year, not that there's a huge threat anyways, because they're just going to go out and get four more subpar wide receivers, and it's not going to make a big difference. But it, it's just going to continue down this path. They've locked up one of the few guys that's actually really had a very good impact. And it's something they needed to do. But I think from our perspective, this is fine. He was going to be there anyways. And if they're going to lose a bunch of money and have even less power to do anything next year, which they're not going to have any power to do anything for a while because they still don't have draft picks, they don't have any draft or uh, money because of uh, Khalil, basically just Khalil, um, I'm, I'm happy about it. And good for Eddie Jackson. I mean, it, you know. On, on a personal non-Chicago Bears level, the guy was like a fourth-round pick, worked real hard, and basically just 
is the highest paid safety because in one year he just dominated, right? I mean, that's that it, that really is a, a top lesson in how to do it. Just ball out for one year and then be kind of good the rest of the year so that the team recognizes, look, we got to lock this guy up. Jair should take a page out of that book. Like, next year, dude, seriously, just be the best ever. Be the number one corner for one year. It doesn't matter if you regress. You'll get paid like the highest paid corner in football. Actually, I don't, I don't know if the Packers will do that. They'll, they'll pay you well. The Packers do compensate well if you're young and if you're prom, you know, a young, promising player. If you're 30 and you're really good, eh, I don't know. They, uh, it's a good thing there's no ageism suits in the NFL. The Packers would get lawsuits every single year because they hate you when you're 30. But anyways, yeah, just, you know, a, a half smile to my face when I saw that. Because we knew he wasn't going anywhere. I mean, I would have been happier if they cut him, but, I mean, that wasn't on the table. So him being there and the Bears having to spend a lot of money for him to be there, that's awesome, great, fantastic news. Keep that news coming. You know, I want them to pay Allen Robinson $20 million a year. It's one thing that for them to have talent. It's another thing for them to overpay for talent. Because at the end, well, I don't want to go through that whole thing again. But that, the, the, the way the salary cap is, you want to just evenly allocate your money depending on how, you know, whatever. Overpaying somewhere means you're underpaying somewhere else, which means you're probably under-talented somewhere else, unless you're really good in the draft and the Bears don't have draft picks. So that's, in short, that's the problem for the Bears. They can't afford to overpay, and they are overpaying everyone, including Allen Robinson already. So I don't know if I would say they're overpaying um, this guy, but it's hard to say that they're not. He's the highest paid safety in football. Is he the best? No, he's not the best. He was once out of three years. He won't ever be again. But anyways, good for him, good for the Bears, good for the Packers. Everybody's happy. Um, some actually very big news for the Minnesota Vikings. Mike Hughes was put on IR. Guy struggled with injury for a while. He was a very early pick for the Minnesota Vikings. He was actually a first-round pick, late first-round pick, but still. Um, very talented corner, but he's had a really hard time kind of turning the corner. Overall, if you look at his PFF grade, he's been kind of just not good for two years. However, I had talked about the Vikings corners over the last four weeks, which has been kind of my metric for a while looking at going into the playoffs. And the Vikings have some of the best corner, one of the best corner duos. In fact, a lot of teams do. The, the Packers have got a duo going. Jair hasn't been great, but with Kevin King and Jair and the whole group, it's been pretty solid. The Vikings, the Patriots... But, um, yeah, Mike Hughes over the last four weeks has been one of the best corners in football. Now, whether that's sustainable or not or just kind of flukish where you get, you know, because it's a lot of good games and bad games just kind of spread out and maybe they're just clustered. here. Either way, this is a big blow because if we – let's just look at it here. So Trey Waynes is primarily he's, – he's top ten right now over the last four weeks. He's, he's the primary guy. But here's the thing. The duo with him and Mike Hughes actually isn't bad. you got to understand the context here because Mike Hughes actually over the last four weeks is 36, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. The, the bigger picture here, though, is that the Vikings corners have been pretty bad this year. I mean, they, they, they've been overrated since forever. And Vikings fans basically have been refusing to acknowledge it until Xavier Rhodes fell off, and then they're like, all right, I want him out of here. He left, Mike Hughes came in, and then they sort of had a good duo, right? So Trey Wayne's top 10. Uh, Mike Hughes just outside of the top 32. The bigger issue, though, is they don't have anybody else. They've got Chris Boyd and they've got Holton Hill, a seventh-round pick and an undrafted free agent, both of whom are just not very good. Now, granted, if you're talking overall grades through the year, they're they're on par with, uh, with Mike Hughes, but I, I think there's clearly a difference in talent. And so you got Waynes out wide who... Again, over the course of the year is average, but has been kind of getting hot. You got Mackenzie Alexander in the slot, who's one of the worst corners in football over the last four weeks. And then I don't know. I don't know if they put Rhodes back out wide, who is legitimately one of the worst corners in football throughout the year. 
or if we start seeing Chris Boyd or Holton Hill come in to replace him because Rose is just that bad. I don't know. But it begins to be problematic to where, really as far as the corners are concerned for the Vikings, and keep in mind they're playing tomorrow, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow, the uh, the Saints, which I guess they just they got the one guy, so it's not like they're going to attack them everywhere. But it does open up some opportunities to their number two or three wide receiver. And I look, I, I think this is something that, just going forward, they're going to need to address. I don't think they have very good corners. I don't think they've really ever had good corners. I think they've got two guys that have had a couple. They've been able to string together two to three really good games in four weeks to make it look like they're getting hot, but I don't think they're going to stay that way. We've seen Trey Waynes now. This is his fifth year. He's never even had one good season, according to PFF grades. He's been close. 2015-2018, he was at 69-ish, which 70 is where you get to good. But if we just call that a hard cutoff, he's never been there once. This is a first-round pick. We, we can nitpick and be like, he has been good. Okay, he's been mediocre for five years at best. That's not good enough. And Xavier Rhodes is done. So, they I mean, they got to do something. I'm not trying to speak on their behalf like I want them to do something. I'm just saying, this isn't good enough. And this is going to hurt. And, and again, the, the big news here is that Mike Hughes, their first-round pick, one of the few guys that's actually been performing well at corner for the first time in a long time for the Vikings, is done for the season. That's pretty big news. Um, some other maybe interesting but probably not news, Ty Summers has actually been taking snaps at fullback in practice. I don't know if that's really just because they need somebody to fill that role in practice or if he's actually going to uh, play fullback a little bit. I mean, to be honest, I don't see the point in practicing as though there's a fullback if you're not going to be playing with a fullback, unless you expect him to be back, but he can't practice right now. So either way, I'm not expecting much out of this, but it is interesting, and if it happens, you know, you can't say you didn't know. And then finally, do you know what fiat currency is, or fiat anything? It's something that just has authority or value because I say so. There's no actual value, right? There's value there because I say there's value there. And that's it. That's what this all-pro-nonsense is. And I understand when we look back in history, we look at how many Pro Bowls, right? If we if we want to prop somebody up, we look at how many Pro Bowls and how many all-pro things there are. And to be honest, I didn't even realize until recently who cast these votes. And I still don't really know who. But I really thought there was some kind of an official system to calculate this because it's really important. We put a lot of stock in this. He's been... He's been to seven Pro Bowls. He's been all pro six times. Here's the thing. It's dumb, dude. We've got to stop. We, we have to come up with a new quote-unquote currency. Because I'll tell you right now, I, I don't, if, even if you hate PFF grades, you should trust PFF grades a lot more than you trust Pro Bowl, all pro thing. And this isn't just because Zadarius got snubbed. That has nothing to do with it. I said this prior to when we were looking at who got into the Pro Bowl. It's meaningless, dude. It's a popularity contest. It's based on nonsense. You've even got guys that are being outed because they're voting for people at the wrong position because they don't even know what position they play. Frank Clark got voted as a defensive tackle. Frank Clark is an edge rusher. He's not a defensive tackle, and whoever cast that vote didn't even know that and didn't have the couldn't even be bothered to look it up. He couldn't even Google the guy before he cast his vote. That's how much they don't even care about this. And it has a massive impact on these players' lives. It shouldn't, and I don't want it to, because it means it actually has zero value. But the problem is, when you look back over somebody's career, 
And you look at back on a guy like Zadarius' career, let's say he falls off a little bit. He's never going to be recognized as anything because when people look back at his stats in 30 years, they're going to see zero Pro Bowls, zero All-Pro, zero everything across the board, and nobody's going to recognize the historic season that he's had because we're using the wrong metrics. Who cares what these people think? It's no different than if we were just letting you know Colin Coward and the rest of those guys just cast their votes. And I might even trust them more. I'm guessing Colin Coward knows who Frank Clark is, and he'd also be public about it so he could at least state his case so it could be argued. And so we can't have these petty little you know, things going on where I vote for this person because I like him or I'm a fan of this team or I never liked that guy or whatever kind of nonsense is going on because there's zero transparency here. It's just dumb, and we need to just stop caring. Stop caring about the Pro Bowl, stop watching the Pro Bowl, stop caring about all pro, and as soon as the players and everybody stop caring and start devaluing it in terms of, I'm not going to look at how many Pro Bowls and all pro votes you got when I value you as a player. And, and historically, that's kind of all we've got. If I want to know how somebody from the 1950s was, what am I supposed to do? I mean, you got general stats, but I, you know, you got to do a lot of research to, to figure it out. And so you kind of just trust these people who were there at the time and who were immersed in it to say, no, this guy was the best. We don't need to do that today. We've got Game Pass. We can watch every single snap of every single player over and over and over again. We've got 60,000 people on YouTube and Twitter breaking down film. We've got 70 billion analysts, I mean, paid people from ESPN, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, across the board, who get paid to do nothing but watch film and be critical of people. You've got people from former teams who have started podcasts who are talking about these things and teaching people how to look at things. You've got things like PFF. You've got football outsiders who use incredible different metrics to try to give you a, a picture of how valuable they were. We've got people that break down per play how much value was added on a per play basis and aggregate that into a final score for the year to show you how much value they had. This is football outsiders over the course of the year. And, and again, pro football focus is somebody who watches every single snap and grades them as a scout would using a 350-page book that lays out all the metrics for, you know, how they were standing, how they threw, you know, were their feet planted, how accurate was the pass based on different zones, was it this far away from the body, this far away from the body. You got Sports Info Solutions, I think is the name. They, they basically do the exact same thing. They're not as open. I mean, I talked to them, it costs like over a thousand bucks to get their information. But they, they do this a very similar thing. They've got uh, software that they use to measure distances and how close they were and all these different things to really create values that are official. Not just I watch football and I got opinions and I talk to some guys because I'm in the industry and I already know these things. You don't know, they don't know, nobody knows. This is an archaic way of doing things. It's the good old boys system where it's, it's only the football guys that have the inside information. And they're all a bunch of lazy, wine-drinking, cigar-smoking bums who, yeah, they, they know a lot of stuff about football, and they, they got some inside information, and they talk to people, and they've got connections, and they probably watch a lot of football. But I'm sorry, that's not good enough anymore. With the technology that we have and with the, the, the ability with you know Amazon Web Services to create these, these massive machines that measure every single calculation that you could possibly have to spit out these formulas to tell us who is the most valuable person, as flawed as they are, it's, it's light years ahead of this archaic all-pro garbage. 
I don't care. I don't care that Zadarius didn't get voted for anything. The only reason I care is because we actually have put value into this, and that could hurt his career. That could hurt historically how he's viewed. And listen, I want that to get blown up. I want it to go away. I don't use it. If I want to see how good somebody was, and I can use it within the range of the technology we have, PFF goes back to about 2006, if I can use any other information to try to gauge how good a player was, I'm going to do it. Because it means a lot more to me to use that advanced technology and that all that work that goes into it, then I would, then I would use this, which is so difficult dumb and and every time it happens and everybody freaks out and makes a big deal about it it just gives it more validity we think we're tearing it down we're not when you say i want him in there badly it's because you believe it has some value because he he deserves this much value he deserves the opportunity for this great honor it's not a great honor it's stupid who cares blow it up abolish it it's done we don't need it Unless they're going to fix it and actually create a criteria, a strict mathematical calculation, so that the good old boys don't get to cast their vote and feel good about themselves because, oh, I'm so smart, I get to cast a vote for who gets this all-pro vote. No, you go bye-bye. We have machines that do that work now. We've got artificial intelligence, ladies and gentlemen, that can make these calculations for us. And if we want to tweak it a little bit over time, that's fine. But there needs to be a criteria and a fair criteria that is established before the season. And at the end of the season, the calculations are made and popped out is the the official statistics, the official rankings. Here are the top guys. That's it. End of story. Until that happens, we don't need to argue he should have got in. We should be we should just be laughing. All I want to see on Twitter next year are shrug emojis or laughing emojis or, gee, this is funny that you think people actually care. Nobody watches the Pro Bowl. Nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. Nobody cares about the good old boys sitting around talking about who deserves this and that. You got Listen, all the respect in the world, you've built great careers. You've, you've done a lot of things in this industry. You know more about football than I probably do. But this is a wrong way of doing this. And as long as you insist that this is how we're going to do this, we're going to let people who spend their careers talking about sports or, or being in sports or whatever it is, especially when we got media members, like, dude, half of these guys have allergies to, to pigskin. I'm sorry, you don't get a vote because you don't matter. Not in this context, not when we're talking about things that actually derive value to a player. Not when we're talking about things that could actually impact the amount of money they make. Imagine if that was an incentive. And some of these are incentives. You're messing with people's money and you don't know what you're talking about. This is dumb. This whole thing is a joke. Stop caring about it. Stop. Stop giving it value by by being outraged. It doesn't matter. And that's the and, and listen, I I understand it sounds like I'm contradicting myself. I'm telling you how we need to start acting toward this. I'm not going to be outraged about this. You're not going to find one single tweet about how Zedarius got robbed. Because I don't think Zedarius lost anything. He did what he did. He earned what he earned. He didn't lose a single thing because these people didn't vote for him. He lost nothing. If Matt LaFleur doesn't win Coach of the Year, he loses nothing. The accomplishments he that, that he earned are 100% intact, regardless of, of, of a bunch of you know, poets who write about sports want to vote for them to be the most, you know, whatever. Which in and of itself is about, you know, doing the right thing, trying to sound smart. What is the smart sounding thing? Well, I'm going to vote for 
Kyle Shanahan, because everybody knows he's a good coach. And I'm going to sound smart like I know stuff if I say Kyle Shanahan, because he's seen as a genius coach. And so if I can make some excuse to vote for him and sound smart, that's perfect. It's a safe vote. It's one that my colleagues will look around and go, yes, that's a good vote there. Well done, Jonathan. You're a good boy. We like Jonathan. We shall give him a raise to $42,000 a year. Rather than actually grinding it out and doing the work, who actually deserves this? What, what, is my, what are my metrics? And I apply it every single year. This is the criteria. This is the grading system. I built a grading system in about four hours yesterday based on who's going to win the Super Bowl based on Matt. It might be the wrong system, but I built one. This isn't just me sitting around theorizing and pretending my brain is just so massive. If I just think something, it becomes so. Because I'm that arrogant. I can change the universe with my mind because it's that powerful. I shall cast a vote, and it shall be so. He is the greatest coach of the year. It's so pompous and arrogant. The whole thing is just obnoxious. Anyways, didn't expect it to go on that long, but I'm pleading with you to stop caring. Let this just be some fun little thing, like the award shows that they do for for movies and television and stuff. I don't know one person on this planet that actually watches that garbage. It's a bunch of actors getting together and applauding each other. That's it. It's it's an opportunity for them to feel self-important. Let's let these sports writers and whoever else sit around in circles and feel self-important while they cast votes that nobody's going to pay attention to. Because nobody cares. Nobody even reads anything they write anyways, so why do we care who they think is the most important player? If they write an article saying this is the best pass rusher in football, we're going to pass it around and laugh at it. But when they cast a vote, we all think it's the greatest thing ever, and it must be, we we have to give it some kind of, no, we don't. The Associated Press has nothing to do with Sedarius Smith's sacks and pressures and just overall dominant performance in 2019. If they don't want to appreciate him because they're too dumb to look him up or actually do the work to find out who actually statistically had a very good year, which most people understand at this point. But again, they don't want to put in the work. They want to look at the big names, look at the stats, eliminate guys like, you know, the guy out in Tampa. I've never heard of him before. I don't care that he got the most sacks this year. We're going to set him to the side. Uh, give me that Khalil guy. Well, he didn't. He had kind of a down year. Ah, it's Khalil. I'll take a Khalil guy over here. Whatever. They mean nothing. Stop caring. Let's take a break. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. All right, so this is going to be kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to do my best. So the, the basic, how this started was I wanted to figure out what was most important for a team winning a Super Bowl. Was it a quarterback or a defense? And I tried to look at Super Bowl champions and what kind of a quarterback they had and what kind of a defense they had. What that eventually morphed into was a, a table that had points for, yards, points against, yards against. So how your offense ranked in points and yards, how your defense ranked in points and yards, and then how your quarterback ranked on PFF as an overall and as a passer. Now the problem with this, obviously, and I, I only went back as far as PFF could go, is that it only went back to 2007. But that's actually fine because... What I realized is that there isn't that strong of a correlation with who your quarterback is. From 2007 
through 2019, because it's the year in which you won the Super Bowl, not the season. Only one time did the number one quarterback win. That was the 2017 Patriots and Tom Brady. Now, you might think, well, that's not that big of a deal. And the, these are generally pretty good quarterbacks, but but let's just keep these numbers in mind as we move forward and why I don't think it super matters. From best to worst quarterbacks as far as overall ranking, 2017 Patriots and Tom Brady, Drew Brees in 2010, Aaron Rodgers in 2011, who was the fourth best quarterback that year, uh, 2019 Tom Brady was fifth, 2015 Tom Brady was fifth, 2012 Giants 5th, 2014 Seahawks 7th. After that, 2013 Ravens 24th, 2008 Giants 29th ranked quarterback, 2009 Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger 35th best quarterback, 35th, and then finally 2016 Broncos 39th. So we're not so essentially we're not looking at that right now, partially because I can't continue that because I wanted to go back through all of Super Bowl history, which is what I did. And again, the, the correlations here are actually really strong, and I want to run through some of the numbers just to kind of give it some validation in terms of why I felt the need to continue on with this. And actually, come to find out that as much as quarterback seems to be important, and of course it plays a big factor in it, it maybe if you look at it positionally, it's more important than any one position. But in terms of how predictive it is of, of you winning a Super Bowl, it's nowhere near the team metrics of points and yards, and especially points and especially defensive points. But we'll get there. Here, here is just some of the, the information. So we're looking at 53 Super Bowls, right? And understand, if we're doing something as being completely random, in the NFL you would expect it to be one out of every 32 times. If you've got 32 uh, rankings for 32 teams, which granted that isn't always the case because if you go back far enough there weren't 32 teams, but whatever. Actually, you should probably go back and adjust that, but I won't. Because again, this is, it's got some issues anyways. But in 53 Super Bowls you would expect one to two teams ranked at one so so at, at, at any one ranking if if you're looking at the number one passing or points scoring offense you would expect one or two number one overalls as well as one or two 32 overalls now we, we obviously know that that's not how it's going to play out but the to the degree that the number one has won the super bowl is pretty staggering for example in 53 super bowls 10 times out of 53, roughly one in five teams have had the number one scoring offense. 20%, actually about 19, but still, that's pretty crazy. Teams that have had a top five offense. How many Super Bowl winners have had a top five offense? Out of 53 Super Bowls, you know how many? 32. 32 out of 53 teams in all of Super Bowl history have had a top five offense. How about top 10 offense? 45 out of 53. That's 85%. Can you guess how many teams have won a Super Bowl without having a top 20 offense? In 53 years, zero. There has never been in the history of football a team outside of the top 20 that has won a Super Bowl. By the way, the Buffalo Bills right now are ranked 23rd on offense. If they win the Super Bowl, they have made history. And to elaborate on that, the worst offensive uh, team in terms of uh, offensive points as well as offensive yards to win a Super Bowl was the 2009 Steelers, ranked 20th and 22nd, respectively. They were number one on defense in points and yards. In fact, every team starting at about 15 points uh, ranked 15th or worst on points. Their defensive points rank were number one, number one, number four, and number one. They were all top five defenses in points and yards. So if you've got a offense 
that is not top 10, you better have, with only two exceptions, if you have an offense that is not top 10, you better have a defense that is top 5. The 2013 Ravens and the 2008 Giants are the only uh, outliers, and there are there are a few outliers here, because ultimately what I found out, if you just look at points, which is the most important metric, and let, let me just say this now, out of 53 Super Bowls, only 7 weren't top 5 in either points or Offense or defense. I couldn't think what I was trying to say. So in every single case, with the exception of five, or seven, I think I said, in every case, with the exception of seven, teams were top five in either points, offense, or defense, or both. In 100% of the cases, teams were either top 10 on offense or defense, 100%, with the exception of one team, the 2008 Giants. That is the ultimate outlier in this group is the 2008 Giants. And unfortunately, what I did later, and we'll talk about these, is did comps in terms of teams now and who they compare to. There's three teams that compare to the 2008 Giants, which essentially means you're not really top 10 and you're in that outlier category. But there are four teams in the playoffs right now that are not top five in either offensive or defensive points, which automatically puts you at a massive disadvantage, historically speaking. Again, only seven times in, in football history has a team that wasn't top five in either points, offensive or defensive. I keep wanting to say points or yards. Um, only one in seven, or only seven total times has a team actually gone on to win, and only once in Super Bowl history, if you weren't top ten, in either of those two categories, did you win a Super Bowl. The Texans and the Eagles, by the way, are not top ten in either category. So it would be very, very historic for either of those teams to win, and I don't have any faith in either of those teams winning unless they just get super crazy hot, similar to what the 2008 Giants did. They were not a very good team. They snuck into the playoffs, and they just dominated. It's kind of what it seemed like the Packers did, but going into it, the Packers had the number 2-ranked defense and the number 10-ranked offense. So their record wasn't great, and it felt like they weren't going to get in, and it felt like, well, maybe they shouldn't be in here. But if you look at the stats, they had everything in line to be a Super Bowl champion using these metrics that I'm using right now. But let me continue with a few others just to give you some ideas, because that was just points for. Let's look at points against. This is um, how good your defense is at stopping teams from scoring points. If you have the number one defense in points, or, or I guess just out of 53 Super Bowls, 16 teams were number one in points on defense. 16. That's 30%. Almost one in three Super Bowl winners in the entire history of winning the Super Bowl had the number one defense. Just looking at recent history, the 2017 Patriots, the 2014 Seahawks, 2009 Steelers, all number one. And I know you might think this skews to older, you know, back in the day defense was more important. That's not really super true. Uh, the 1967 Packers did have the number one defense, but they had the number four offense. The 1968 Packers, three defense, nine offense. But the 1969 Jets had the number two offense and the number four defense. So it wasn't like back then it didn't matter what your offense was, it was all defense. Not necessarily. I thought that would be a strong correlation too. And actually part of the reason I did this is because I figured quarterbacks maybe are more important these days. That's certainly not the case. But let's continue. If you have a top two defense, because there's that many, 24 out of, of uh, 53. So we're talking almost 50% of Super Bowl winners have had a top two defense in terms of points. If you were uh, a top five defense, I keep saying this the wrong way and it's making me insane. 34 out of 53 teams have had a top five defense. That's 64%. Two out of three Super Bowl champions have had a top five defense. Again, looking more recently, 2009 Patriots did not, 
but the Eagles did, the Patriots before that did, the Broncos did, Patriots before that did not, Seahawks did. So four out of the last six had top five. All of them were top ten. And by the way, 46 out of 53 had top ten defenses. That's 86.8%, basically 87% of teams that have won Super Bowls have had a top ten defense. And you can do the same thing with yards. And, and one of the things that I, so this is kind of where I was at, and this is what I was going to talk about, and then I was going to do comps and we're going to move on. But I wanted to do something else because I wanted to see how predictive was it? How much more important is points against compared to points for or yards on offense compared to yards on defense? And so that's what I did. And what I did was I created a point system. Here's essentially how it worked. And I know this is very nerdy. Just hang out with me. It's going to get interesting in a second. So if you had a, I I added up how many had a number one points for example, there were 10. 10 is 19%. The expected is about 3%. Again, if it was just completely random, it would be 3%. So what is the difference between 3% and 19%? So that's what I did all the way down the line for a number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And I created a point system based on whether you have a number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The reason being, I can look at the teams this year, see what their points for uh, yards on offense, points against, and yards on defense are, and I can assign a points value to it. So, for example, if you are 17th in points, I can look at it, and I can see that it, that roughly, and it, it doesn't work out perfectly, so I have to kind of even it out. Right? You'll have like a 6, and then a 3, and then a 5, and then a 2, and so I, I want that to be kind of a smooth downward decline, because obviously I'm not going to say it spikes up if you have a, a 24th overall offense compared to a 19th. So again, it's imperfect. But the point is, at some point, you get below a 3%. So at 16th in points four, I've got it at 2%, which is to say that you are now below 3%, so now you are in a negative category. Does that make sense? And it also, what that does, is it shows which is most important. So now using this points, let me show you what I've got. Points against, if you have the number one defense, you are assigned 8.66 points. Yards against, or yards allowed on defense is actually the second most predictive, actually more so than points for. 6.85 points if you have the number one in yards on defense. The third most predictive is points for, so offensive points, 5.04 points. And then the least predictive is yards of offense, only 3.83. So essentially 8, then 6, then 5, then 3. So points against is the biggest, and then yards against and points for are kind of close, and then yards of offense is the least. And so I just went down the line, and I gave each one. So the Patriots points for, uh, offensive yards, all those values I gave a specific value, and then I simply added them up. And so if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see my ranking system, and it did not turn out the way that I had expected. I've been saying all along, the Patriots are probably not that good anymore, and they're going to really struggle. Here's the thing. They have the number one defense and the number one, uh, or yeah, the number one defense in points and yards. Having talked about what we just talked about, historically speaking, they have an unbelievable advantage as far as winning the Super Bowl. The 2014 Seahawks were number one in points and yards. Number uh, 2009 Steelers, number one, points and yards. 2003 Buccaneers, number one, points and yards. 1997 Packers, which, by the way, is one of the most dominant football teams in history. Again, if you're a patron, you want some more of this information, you want me to look it up, I'd be happy to do that for you. 1997 Packers, number one in points, number five in yards, number one in points, number one in yards on defense. They were number one across the board, except yards of offense, they were fifth. The only team, by the way, that was number one across the board, 1973 Dolphins, number one in every category. 
But 1986 Bears, number one defense in both categories. Uh, 1973 Dolphins that I just talked about. 1970 Chief. If you're number one in both categories, as far as historical predictiveness goes, it is kind of through the roof. And so the ranking system is as follows. The Patriots, 17.13. Because they have 8.66 points and 6.85 points, number one in both. And here's the other thing. The the curve of these is a massive drop-off. So if you're number one in yards, or excuse me, points on defense, you get 8.66 points. If you're number two, it drops to 3.83 points. It's a massive drop-off. It's still really high. Because from there it goes down to 1.88, and then it kind of hangs there for a while, and then, you know, it's a, it's a slow curve after that. So top two is are the two big ones. Number one, though, is massive. That's not the case for yards of offense, by the way. It's threes for a while, and then twos for a while, so it's, it's a more gradual curve. But again, all I'm doing is I'm taking historical data after a correlation that I found. There's a high correlation here. So if we use that and try to use that to be predictive for who's going to win the Super Bowl, here's what we got. So the Patriots get 17 points. The Ravens, 13 points. The 49ers, 11 points. Those are the three powerhouses, which actually is kind of how we would see it in terms of who would win the Super Bowl, aside from the Patriots. And a lot of that is because we think Tom Brady is falling off. And a a bigger question also would be, how does this hold up? Are, Are they still the number one defense? If so, they still have a really good chance of doing a really good job. Because, again, defense is much more highly predictive than quarterback. Because, again, we can look at the quarterbacks in recent history and we can see that some of the worst quarterbacks in in the league have actually won Super Bowls and somewhat recently. And that's if they have a dominant uh, defense. We can look at Peyton Manning, a very cerebral quarterback who's just sort of at the end of his rope, who is being dragged by, the, by this defense that is number one. They're actually fourth in points, number one in yards. So actually, that was less. They would have gotten less points and been less predictive than the Patriots winning this year. And it, it, it makes me sick to say those words. I'm just saying. And again, this isn't definitive, but I feel like it's fairly strong historically. And I again, I don't think it's it needs to be weighted because strong defenses win today, just like strong defenses won back then. Anyways. After that, so it's 17, then 13, then 11, a massive drop down to the Buffalo Bills. Now, here's the other problem with this system, is that it doesn't, it looks more at the positive than the negative. So, for example, it does a better job of looking at the Bills' defense, which is actually pretty stout, but they only get, the the worst you can get is a negative one. And I need to work on the negative part of this, because again, it should be a lot worse than a negative one, because no team in history ever has won with their offensive production. So, if I were to continue this and have more time, it would be to try to work on the negative side of it a little bit more. And that would probably drag the Bills way down. In fact, it would probably drag a lot of these teams that don't have a good offense way down, or, or a really bad defense for that matter. So it, it's more weighted positively. If you're really good in these categories, you're going to rank highly. It doesn't look as, as, as much at if you're really bad in these categories, which can also be predicted. But anyways, after the Bills is the Chiefs. Chiefs primarily because they're more even across the board. Their defense isn't as bad as you would think in terms of points. They're actually fifth on this list in terms of points allowed. After the Chiefs would be the Saints. The Saints, because their defense is actually quite poor in terms of points, they're they're actually negative. Uh, they're they're solid in terms of uh, points for, although they, they can't touch the Ravens or the Chiefs. I'm sorry, the Ravens. And their yardage isn't all that helpful. And so when you are pretty good on offense but have a bad defense, that that's kind of negatively affecting them. After the Saints is the Vikings. I know we don't want to hear that, but the fact of the matter is the Vikings' defense is what really is carrying them. Their offense is pretty low, but it's actually 
also still higher than the Packers. Uh, after the Vikings is the Eagles. After the Eagles is the Seahawks. After the Seahawks is the Packers. A lot of this is because of the offensive production. The Packers have won, are one of only three teams that are in the negative, which is to say, because they are 15th in points, you're getting down into the category of it's actually less likely than a random roll of the dice. In terms of offensive yards and points against, they're kind of right at about that average mark. And then yards given up on defense is actually also pretty poor. It's not negative. But even though the even though they are top 10 in points against, they're ninth, which is just kind of, it helps. But anyways, um, after that, there's actually a pretty steep drop off. So uh, let me let me do this again. So from the 49ers to the Bills, it goes from 11 to 5. Bills to the Chiefs from 5 to 4. Chiefs to Saints, 4 to 3. And then Saints and Vikings are both at about 3, which is interesting that they're playing each other. Then it drops from 3 down to 1, which is a pretty big drop down to the Eagles, Seahawks, and Packers. And then from there down to 0.62 for the Texans. And then from there down to 0.3 for the Titans. Now the other interesting thing for the Titans is how much of this is Tannehill coming at this late. Now he was there since like week 9-ish, maybe before that. But it's entirely possible that this doesn't work for Tannehill because a lot of the lack of production is pre-Tannehill. But that's that's kind of a problem with the overall thing anyways. Are the are these teams still number one in these categories? But whatever. So there you go. Very, very long explanation. But I do think it's extremely interesting to look at the high correlation that there is. And essentially all this is is telling you what you probably already know, that dominant teams tend to win Super Bowl. It's not as fluky as people might try to make it out to be. If you are a dominant team, which is to say if you're top five in a category, you have a really high chance. If you're a top five in multiple categories, or especially if you're number one in a couple categories, your, your odds go through the roof. If you're outside of the top five, you're kind of in trouble, especially if you're not top five in any category. And then if you're the Packers, you're... You're barely top 10 on defense, and you're outside of the top 10 on offense. You're kind of in that, it's not looking good category. And again, there are a couple where it would be historic. For example, the Bills offense, and then also the Texans and the Eagles not being top 10 in any category. Fairly historic for those teams if they end up winning the Super Bowl. So there you go. So here then becomes the thing. So so now I'm going to pivot. I'm not going to take a break because we've already done that twice. Looking at the Patriots versus the Titans. Forget everything I said now, because this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? How much is that going to hold up? Because the narrative going into this is this is a white-hot Titans offense. Number one quarterback in football. Uh, A.J. Brown is on fire, carving people up, but going up against the number one defense in football. Stephon Gilmore is just absolutely dominant. J.C. Jackson, over the course of the season, right now is a 67 overall grade, but is one of the highest graded, again, more recently. Even Jonathan Jones in the slot is doing a great job. Van Noy off the edge. Uh, the safeties are playing really, really good football. And, of course, this is an, a very cerebral team. But I think the 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 two biggest benefits in this game, because I want to keep it somewhat concise, the biggest benefit for the Tennessee Titans is this is the right kind of team to play New England. This isn't like the Atlanta Falcons a few years ago where it was all offense. Right? We're just going to fling it all over the place because they're, it's the instability of that, the the Patriots are just going to pick you apart. We do one thing really dominantly. The Patriots are just going to take that away, and then what? The the Titans are balanced. They can throw the ball. They can run the ball. They can play defense. And so they, they've got the ability to go the distance. They can go a few rounds with the New England Patriots. They can take this four quarters. They can go blow for blow. We can throw it to our receivers. We can run between the tackles. We can throw to our tight end. We don't have elite corners, but we've got good enough corners, good enough linebackers, good enough defensive line. Again, not elite, and they definitely need some help, but they've been able to, to do some work. And again, this is a white-hot team that's coming in just, just smacking people around. They're 5-2 uh, and two over their last seven games. 
They just beat the Houston Texans, a playoff team, 35-14. to So I, I think they have the ability to go the distance. Here's the biggest negative, though, and it's it's – it's the fact that the Tennessee Titans are the exact kind of team that the Patriots beat up on every year. They're the newcomers. They don't know how to play playoff football. They're new to this. They're wide-eyed, right? This is the big stage. And, and like, you know, it's just Tannehill doesn't know how to play in the playoffs. He's been in the league forever. He has no idea. The, the Titans and the guys that have been here for a long time, they don't know, man. The Titans aren't, aren't regulars in the playoffs, and especially being successful in the playoffs. It's just they've, they've been here, but winning continuously, winning regularly it just they're not good at it they don't know how to do it the patriots this is another day at the office they know exactly what to do and they know how to manipulate you this is where they're most comfortable this is when the patriots come alive and so i would actually not all be all that surprised either way if the titans win it's one of those things i think it's going to be a grind i think it's going to be somewhat of a slugfest and i don't necessarily mean point score i just mean blow for blow right we go three and out you go three and out you get a touchdown we get a field goal you get a field goal we get a touchdown right it's just it's just a slugfest it's a three-hour game that feels like it's 180 minutes of playing time it just it just feels exhaust the alternative though would be the patriots just destroy the titans because they're just not ready and the patriots are right this is the playoffs this is a different animal and this again this is where the patriots are most comfortable especially because a lot of these younger teams and i don't necessarily mean age i just mean inexperienced postseason teams when they go toe-to-toe with the, with the Patriots, the Patriots just leave them bloodied. I mean, it's, it's very similar to what happened with the Rams. The Rams were a powerhouse. I would argue the Rams were a better team than the Patriots last year, which, you know, it's arguable for sure. The Patriots were a very good team. But the Rams were just so incredible. But look how they, look how they just made them look dumb. Same with the Chiefs, powerhouse. The Patriots didn't look like they were even breaking a sweat. Because you get these guys in there, and they just start swinging wildly. And they start getting crazy, and they're going out, going for the knockout blow. And it's like Muhammad Ali just, just riding the ropes, just letting him punch himself out. And then as the match winds down, they just go in for the kill and knock you straight out. So the, the cerebral nature of the Patriots and Bill Belichick and their ability to just be way, way smarter than you is going to be important. The, other, the last interesting note I'll say is the Titans coach is Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel was a longtime New England Patriot. He played under Bill Belichick from 2001 to 2008. And as much as that might not seem like much, the Titans actually have a decent amount of Patriots on their team. It was sort of a, a meetup, you know, Deion Lewis. And so if you look back at the history, you know, the, the Patriots have beaten up on the Titans since forever. Basically since the turn of the new year, since Bill Belichick has been there, the Titans or the, the Patriots are basically undefeated. However, this last time, I don't know if you remember it, it was last year. It just felt like there was something personal in November. And the Titans beat the Patriots 34-10. to 10. And the amount of celebration that was that you could tell this just felt personal. As much as the Titans and Patriots, you'd think there's there's zero actual, like they, they, they've got nothing in common. It just, even the build-up to the game, you could just tell they wanted to beat the Patriots so bad. And they smoked them. Now, in January of 2018, the, the playoffs the previous year, the, the Patriots knocked them out, which also might have something to do with why they were a little testy. But again, I, I think the Titans bring something else to the table. So the Titans are kind of up and coming. They've got a lot going in their favor on offense and defense. And I think they really despise the Patriots. I think they despise the Patriots. I think they want to dominate the Patriots. The Patriots knocked them out of the playoffs. There's a few ex-Patriots on this team. They want to take it to them. But again, the, the, the biggest variable here, in my mind, from the study that I did and also from just knowing the Patriots, is number one, their defense. Being the number one scoring and yardage defense is massively predictive of winning a Super Bowl. 
And then number two, just the experience of the Patriots. Because it's the Patriots, that's it. They know how to win in the postseason. So if I were to give a prediction, as much as I've been saying, I think the Titans win, I think the Titans win, I think the Titans win, I think I'm leaning a little bit more toward the Patriots. I could see a case for the Titans coming out and just knocking the Patriots on their, you know, off their feet. But I'm actually going to say the Patriots, as much as everybody thinks they're down, right? Tom Brady can't play. And look, they might be on their way out. But this is just kind of their element. And I'm not even necessarily saying they win the Super Bowl, but I think the whole one-and-done thing would be a little bit surprising. Again, because it's the Patriots and because of their defense. And especially this matchup from the standpoint of the Titans are not super familiar with this territory. So, anyways, that's actually the late game. The earlier game is Buffalo and Houston. Um, I think if you look at the thing that I had done, um, basically neither of these teams has very much of a chance. right? Technically, the way I did it, Buffalo does. But I think with the reworking of it, again, nobody with their offense has ever won a Super Bowl. And then also when you look at the fact that their quarterback is one of the worst, I know I said that's not massively predictive, but it doesn't help. He's one of the worst-ranked quarterbacks in football. He is the worst quarterback in the playoff. They have the 25th scoring offense in football. It just really doesn't look well. Again, as I said, the worst offense to ever win a Super Bowl was the Steelers when they had the 20th ranked offense in points, but they had the number one defense. So it's just very, very unlikely. And, and as everybody knows, they've played a relatively easy schedule. Still props to them. I give them and their coach credit for winning those close games and actually getting that record, same as the Packers, because it still comes down to winning. There's a lot of teams who have played bad teams in law. The Jets and the, you know, the Bills. It's not like the Bills haven't had an easy schedule in the past, and they still lose because they're the Bills. So they've earned the right to be here. I just don't think they're going to go very far. One of these teams has to win, but I think whoever wins is going to move on and, and probably just get absolutely destroyed. Regardless of what team they get handed to, I think, they get, I think they're about to get something else handed to them. So in two weeks, both of these teams are gone is my broader prediction. Um, as far as the who's going to win this game, it's kind of tough. I, I, because it's kind of close and I don't have a super amount of respect for either team, I think the home field advantage being for the Texans is kind of helping me lean in that direction. You've got an unbelievably inexperienced team in the Buffalo Bills going to the playoffs. I think the la- they, in let's see, since 2000 they've been to the playoffs once and they lost the wild card. So they have not won. The last time they won a game, 1995, they beat the Dolphins in the playoffs and then lost to the Steelers. That was the last time they won a playoff game. So to say that they're inexperienced, uh, yeah, I think so. And also the quarterback is just generally inexperienced. However, the defense, man, the the They've got the number two defense in terms of points, number three in yards. Um, and they're going up against it, so it's a struggling offense, but they're going up against a defense that's actually not very good. I know a lot of people think the Texans have a good defense just because they're the Texans, but they're not. The Titans just scored 35 points on them. Right? The Broncos scored 38 points. That is not a good offense. So they kind of go in spurts, right? They kept the Buccaneers to 20. You know, The week before, they kept the Titans to 21. But they also give up, you know, again, 38 to the Broncos, 35 to the Titans, 41 to the Ravens. It's, it's, a, it's a defense that's just very volatile and very susceptible to giving up big, big scoring game. In fact, it's one, two, three, four, five times a team has scored 30 or more points. And once, again, the Ravens scored 40 points. So, you know, if the Texans' defense can have one of these better games, I think at home they can win. But if I had to pick right now, I'll probably lean a little bit, Bill. But it's kind of 50-50. And again, it doesn't super matter to me. I don't think either team has a, a chance in in anything to win this game just zero i mean to win to win the game to win the super bowl just historically and everything else it's just i just don't think it's going to happen 
The Texans don't have the chops in any category. Again, they're not top 10 in any single category, points or yard. The best category they have is their 13th in yard. Again, historically, that just do- it just doesn't happen. And so anyways, finally, I want to squeeze one more thing in here. I did those comps that I had mentioned. And so I want to just do the comps for the teams that are playing today. Uh, number one, the Buffalo Bills. Um, 23rd in points, 24th in yards. Second in defensive points, third in defensive yards. Quarterback is ranked 27th. Overall, 31st as a passer, almost a, a identical team to the 2009 Steelers. Now, again, as I said, they were they were 20th in points, and they were number one in on defense. But this isn't all that different. I mean, it's still historical because no team has ever been this bad and won a Super Bowl, but we're talking about the difference between 20th on offense and 23rd on offense, first on defense and second on defense. And also the quarterback ranking being 27th and 31st. Ben Roethlisberger in uh, 2009 was the 31st. Fifth ranked quarterback and the 29th ranked passer. So again, this is this is identical to that team. So if you want to think, what are the Bills this year? They're the 2009 Steelers. And again, I'm just comparing them to Super Bowl winners, obviously. I'm, you know, so this is always going to be a little bit of a flattering exercise. The Texans are one of the three teams that I had compared to the 2008 Giants. However, the other two I put asterisks next to because this is the most closely comparable to that 2008 um, Giants team. So the Texans are 14th on offense. The Giants were 14th on offense. The Texans are 19th on defense in terms of points. The Giants were 17th. The biggest difference here would be the quarterback because the Texans have the 9th best quarterback, 12th as a passer. Eli Manning was 29th and 30th. So actually the, the Texans are a better team than the 2008 Giants were, but very, very comparable in terms of what they're going into um, into the playoffs with in terms of a team overall. Uh, the Titans I have compared to the 2013 Ravens. Both were 10th in points on offense. Titans are 12th in yards. Ravens were 16th. Both 12th on defense. And then yardage, the Titans are 21st. The Ravens were 17th. And then again, giant difference. The Titans now, as of right now, have the number one quarterback. 2013 Ravens and Flacco, 24th best quarterback. But again, in terms of the team, we're talking 10th on offense, 12th on defense, exact same comparable to the 2013 Ravens. Now again, the the outlier with the Ravens is that that defense became the number one defense when they got into the playoffs because that was the year Ray Lewis said, I'm going to retire, and they all played out of their mind to get Ray Lewis that that Super Bowl championship. Uh, The Patriots, I have compared to the 2014 Seahawks, 7th on offense compared to the Seahawks for 8th on offense. However, number one defense... Uh, in both points and yards, the Seahawks in 2014 were the number one defense in terms of points and yards. So, and then the offense, seventh compared to eighth, and then yards, 15th compared to 17th. So very, very similar. Even down to the quarterback. In 2014, Russell Wilson was the seventh best quarterback. Right now, Tom Brady is seen as the 10th overall PFF grade. And then as a passer, Russell Wilson was ninth. Uh, Tom Brady again is 10th. So very, very comparable team to the 2014 Seahawks. So that's it. We'll get to the Packers, but it's you know it's not very flattering anyway. All right, I'll just tell you, it's one of the 2008 Giants team. The, the biggest difference, though, is they do actually have a top 10. The 2008 Giants didn't, but they just are not very good comparable to basically a top 10 and then a top 15 offense that actually won a Super Bowl. There just aren't many because it just doesn't happen very often, which is, which is tough. It kind of stinks when you're um, struggling to find teams that are comparable that have won a Super Bowl, but that seems to be the case for the Packers. I'm not rooting, counting them out. I'm just looking at it from a historical standpoint. It's possible, but it's unlikely, which we already knew that. And by the way, it's fitting because everything about the Packers is, well, technically they shouldn't be, well, technically this, technically that, but they are anyway. So why would we expect this to be any different? Technically, they shouldn't be the Super Bowl champions, 
But they will be anyways. So there you go. Anyways, I told you it'd be a long one, and it was, but uh, I think we're done. We'll have some more of this tomorrow. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.